This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Education Matters. I'm Ohio Education Association Vice President Jeff Wensing, back once again as guest host on the podcast as we take a closer look at some of the big races on the ballot this election day. As we told you last week, there are about 100 OEA members across Ohio who have stepped up and thrown their hats into the ring for their local school board races. These educators know the real issues our schools are facing better than anyone. Uh, They are the ideal candidates to fill any open school board seat. So let me say that again. Educators are the best candidates, the best people to fill open school board seats. But those aren't the only races that are taking place on election day which is november 2nd we are also electing members of the governing boards for educational service centers around the state let's face it a lot of people have no idea what an esc is an educational service center uh, let alone who's the best person to elect to put on that board so here to explain exactly what escs do and make the case for his own candidacy is OEA retired member Barry Alcock, who is running for the Central Ohio ESC board. Hi, Barry. Uh, Thanks for joining us on this special episode of Education Matters. Uh, So first of all, uh, educational service centers or ESCs. What the heck is that? I mean, we have a lot of acronyms in public education. That happens to be another one. So what the heck is an ESC? And uh, if you can include how they impact the kids in Ohio's public schools, that'd be great. All right, Jeff, thanks again for having me on your uh, podcast. I appreciate the chance to talk about my candidacy. Uh, The educational service centers are actually, um, uh, uh, they're an organization and they are, the members are other school districts but they are also, uh, uh, according to, to um, uh, law, they are a school district themselves. Uh, they've been around for 107 years. Uh, present day, there are 52 ESCs, uh, 610 out of 611 possible school districts in Ohio are members of various ESCs. And they are, they started off as county education service offices and uh, organized in an attempt to provide services that that would not be duplicated in other districts. And they were mostly for local districts and small districts. Any any school district with a a day-to-day membership of students under 16,000 must join an ESC. And, uh, and they do that so that they can, pr- they can go to the ESC to provide services like school psychologists, where if it's, you're a small district, for example, and uh, you, your district can't really afford to keep, let's say more than one or, or you know, two or a, an entire school psychologist, one can be shared. And that happens uh, quite a bit among neighboring school districts who together through the ESC would fund a school psychologist who would spend a little bit of time in a smaller district. Uh, In fact, uh, all but one of the districts of 16,000 students or over do belong to an ESC. I said there's only one school district in the state that does not. I won't mention it, but I grew up there and uh, I I didn't realize they weren't a member of the ESC. 
I, I guess a, a way to put it is the ESC provides any kind of educational service that you can imagine uh, uh, from staffing uh, in special ed uh, uh, to workshops, to professional development uh, in all manner of educational service. I don't, I don't know a single thing that uh, the ESC could not do or perhaps even has not done uh, in, in, in the past. Well, that, that sounds like uh, good work, really amazing work that they do. It, it, it seems like they affect just about every school district in Ohio. All but one. All but one's a member, and I, I would suggest all but one uh, use them actively. You know, my, the, the, I taught in two out of three districts that were well over 16,000 students, and ESCs were regularly part of what we did and uh, where we went for workshops and, and uh, advice and additional services. Uh, uh, special ed being one, but uh, um, so many other things. Uh, uh, I'm looking here for the, num the amount of money. ESC provides up $1.4 billion in services to Ohio schools each year. So wow. that's a lot of money. A lot of dough. Yeah, I, Absolutely. Over 17%. Uh, go ahead. So I'm a math teacher uh, from Parma City Schools, and I I've uh, attended many of professional develop, development workshops at the local educational service center up there. So I know that we're affiliated with them, my former school district. Absolutely. I know that according to the ESC um, or in the ODE, uh, we spend that kind of money, but uh, in doing so, we save districts having to spend their own money by themselves uh, at an annual savings of 33.74% of what they would spend. So that's a good service. Yeah, it sounds like it, and good value too. And I um, hope so. So uh, I mentioned earlier that you're a retired educator. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your career um, as an educator? Okay, and, and really, uh, if, if I'm elected, and I, I hope I am, uh, I would bring what I'm going to tell you uh, to the board in a way that I think no other board member, and I'm not running against any of the incumbents uh, in any specific sense, although uh, I'm the only, only non-incumbent running. Um, I started out as an English teacher in Bucyrus, Ohio, and after three years, I went to Bowling Green, took a degree in higher ed and counseling, kept on going, studied for my PhD over five or so years at Ohio State, in philosophy of ed and social foundations of ed. I took a job as a counselor in the College of Education and I taught courses while I was there in history of ed, philosophy of ed, and ethics in education. I went to Shawnee State and was a, a professor there for a year, helping them to put together their social foundations of education curriculum. I wrote that and did that, but I left after a year, quite frankly, because I really missed public school. And I, that's the honest to God's truth. All my students would come to me and say, Alcock, you got it. Well, I just got a job at Brenton L Elementary or Alcock, I just got a job at Eastmore High School or whatever. And I say, that's really good for you. And my heart would break because I will tell you, I loved the first day of any school year. And I, I spent uh, 12 years not having that. So, uh, and I, I always love public school. So I resigned my position at Shawnee State. I went back and I taught for uh, four years in Columbus and I moved over to the Southwestern City Schools and I taught at Finland Middle School, 
uh, language arts, eighth grade. And then I moved over to the Southwestern Career Academy where I taught English and I retired from there in 2014. And while I was teaching uh, uh, in Southwestern, I became pretty active in my local uh, organization, uh, the SWEA, Southwestern Education Organization. I was on the OEA board. I attended a lot of the, I attended all the OEA conferences and I attended quite a few NEA conferences. And as I sit here, I am the central OEA retired delegate to, or the, the retired delegate to the central OEA or to the OEA retired advisory committee. Barry, that is pretty extensive. You have a lot of experience. Oh, I, I do. I am. I am supervising student teachers for capital as well. So, and that, that'll come up when we start talking about uh, subs. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. If we um, do that. <laughs> all right. So you've got you've got this background. So, uh, how do you believe that this background prepares you to be a board member for the Central Ohio ESC? Well, I I know that I, ESCs get out into the schools quite a bit. I was in a school last Friday. Uh, I was in a school, what's today? I was in a school Wednesday, uh, spent the day. I still spend an awful lot of time in schools. I think an awful lot about what goes on in schools. And I, over the course of my career, I've been able to watch how much they have changed. Uh, I often said that the school I walked into in 1975 was almost nothing like the school I walked out of in 2014. And since 2014, there have been huge changes. Uh, not only OTES, which has affected all kinds, every teacher and every administrator, let's face it, they've had to go through that as well. Uh, uh, the uh, advent of, of complete technology and not just last year with the pandemic, but well before that, students using Chromebooks and teachers using technology as a major component of their education is something that happened uh, about an hour after I retired, all that stuff started to hit. And I've been very lucky to be, to see that and to begin to continue to use that as I've worked in schools as a sub and as I've worked in schools uh, supervising my student teachers, all of whom have to be very well versed in that. And, and so uh, virtually everything I've done professionally uh, is connected somehow to what goes on in ESC. So you mentioned OTES, we talked about acronyms earlier. So for people listening, if they're not aware of what OTES means, that stands for the Ohio Teacher Evaluation System. Um, so just to give a little background. Yeah. So I'll play- Very little background. <laughs> I'll play devil's advocate, Barry. So I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna assume, I'm gonna think positively that your candidacy is uh, going to be successful and you wind up on the, on the board for the Central Ohio ESC. So what do you believe are some of the big issues uh, that you need to tackle uh, once you're on the board? One of the things uh, that um, has really come up all over the place, and, and uh, the ESC is, is a major provider of substitute teachers uh, for schools. Uh, every school every school district in Ohio has, has really been slammed by the lack of subs. You talk to teachers today and, and they have, um, they'll tell you that, that they never get their planning periods anymore and, and, and not all elementary teachers get them in the first place, but, but substitute or the lack of subs means that, pe mean that people have to give up their planning time, where, time when they uh, prepare lessons, grade papers, contact parents to cover for another teacher. And it's not like nobody wants those teachers covered, but 
um, people aren't substitute teaching like they used to. I, I have to believe that part of that was COVID, uh, but we are, we are crawling out of that now, I, I hope, uh, at some point this year. I know the districts have raised the money uh, that they're paying to substitute teachers, but I'm not sure that that by itself is going to help. I think that uh, when I first started looking at, at running for uh, ESC, I took a look at the website and I looked at, they have a, a substitute, teaching, substitute teacher handbook and that anybody who subs for, you know, registers through the ESC to sub, and that's many of the districts around Ohio, around central Ohio. Uh, and the handbook is fine, but it's, it's mostly um, what I call custodial kinds of things, you know, how to act with a recalcitrant student or what to say, what to wear, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, as a person who has uh, uh, supervised student teachers, some of whom have not gotten positions when they have finished at uh, Capital University, I think there are people out there who would be fine substitute teachers who would be active teachers in classrooms. I don't know what the percentage of substitute teachers are who are then hired by districts. I don't know that it's a large number. And I think part of that uh, is one of the reasons that people who are trained as teachers uh, don't sub after a while. Uh, that's one thing to look at. Yeah, uh, back when I was in Parma, we had a program where we really wanted to make the substitute teaching experience uh, very pleasant because back then there was still a lack of substitute teachers. We would hook them up with a teacher buddy in the school. And if they needed something, they could go to that teacher in the, in the school and rely on them. Uh, that was like their go-to person. We even tried to get them a better parking spot in the, in the lot. Um, because, because once you have some good substitute teachers, you want to keep them in the pool and keep them around. So it was Absolutely. tough back then, not, not, let alone now. So, yeah, I think your idea of, of a mentor of a mentor teacher in the building is good, and and I think that also speaks. And it this again is a financial issue, perhaps a collective bargaining issue, but uh, um, it would it would be nice to have people who are committed to a district, uh, many more people than are now. You know, many people have sub pools, or many districts have sub pools, and and many buildings now have a, a building a sub assigned to that building. But clearly, it's not enough, and. Uh, I got to believe there is a pool of people out there who are willing to be substitute teachers who may not need to, who may not want to teach full time because of the extra responsibilities of planning and grading or they have family and such. And we have to be more active in, and this is easy for me to say, I know, but we have to be more active in, in trying to find those people and locate them. Uh, you can get paid $155 a day as opposed to 130 or 120, whatever it was. But if you don't have medical insurance, you don't have other kinds of benefits, sick days, you know, uh, uh, then, then there's then the one of the incentives that people might have to work every day is, is taken away. And uh, most of almost all substitute teachers do not have those sorts of benefits. That's yes. hard. All right, Barry, let me let me ask you another question. Um, you know, we were educators and it doesn't matter whether you're an educator or not, I'm sure most people, if not all people, have seen some clips lately, whether they come from their local news or social media, uh, whatever. They've had clips of local school board meetings, and those meetings have sometimes turned pretty contentious lately. They've been pretty heated. So a lot of people maybe 
for the first time are tuned in to local school board races and maybe in the past they haven't voted in local school board races. They just go to the top of the ticket and they vote. So first of all, what do you think about the current climate in your school board race? I know talking to you earlier, you said you've been attending volleyball games and football games and campaigning around events. What's the climate out there? Well, I'll tell you, um, I have not attended any, any of the local school board meetings as such, uh, almost because I don't know that I have to to get what you're talking about. Uh, we have all kinds of video and, and stories, and I, I know many of them. I know quite a few board members in different districts around central Ohio. And I don't think there's a board that hasn't been affected by, uh, I don't want to say violent behavior, although that has been a component of a couple, but uh, rude, loud, obnoxious behavior. Um, it's well beyond people taking different positions about what a school ought to do or what uh, uh, what school boards ought to do. And and I I don't know I I don't know if I have a, a particular solution. Uh, you know, uh, I school boards have often have always run uh, uh, orderly. You know, you sign up to speak, you get a certain amount of time to speak, and people have always honored that. Um, uh, school board members uh, act in, in, and I believe this, in, the, in what they consider to be the best interests of the students and the members of the, of the school uh, in their, the schools in their district. And um, when, now, when they're doing those things, and, and we all know it's all things like masks and distancing and, and that sort of thing, uh, people are no longer rational about that. Uh, people are not running for boards who used to run for boards. Uh, uh, people are not running for re-election on boards where you would have thought they'd have been on boards as long as they could. People are running for boards uh, where their only position is they don't want kids to wear a mask. And they're gonna be on the board for you know, three or four years, depending on the term if that's their only position, they're going to be overwhelmed by what's going to hit them because that there's so many other things on the board and, and uh, that you have to know to be on the board. Um, it, it, it just, it just flummoxes me how, how this is, this happens. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. It's funny. I, I, I grew up in the sixties and, and like anybody else uh, my age, uh, we were pretty politically active and pretty heavily involved in, in opposing certain um, uh, uh, people in authority and some of the things that, that we did. Uh, and I, it's the irony of somebody like myself uh, uh, who now um, sees people disrupting meetings and, and doing that. And I object to those. Uh, and I, and, and unlike, unlike, and I don't want to make uh, comparisons like this necessarily, but unlike those times, these aren't aren't political positions of any sound nature. These are people who are acting, um, uh, for the most part, uh, against sound scientific uh, information that we have and sci scientific knowledge. And people have begun to forget uh, the idea of a social good as opposed to an individual preference. And I suppose that I'm hoping at some point uh, down the line, we can, as we step back away from this particular time period, we can uh, do the kind of work to reestablish people's ideas and people's uh, beliefs in a, in a common good and a social good and what's in people's best interests.
You know that the uh, uh, this time last year we were people were talking about we really wanted kids back in schools. Well, that's obvious. Everybody wanted kids back in schools, but it wasn't a tenable position because of the virus, and we had no vaccines this time last year. Well, now we have those things, and we know that masks work. We know that the vaccines work, and we still have people fighting that sort of thing, and uh, that's not a rational uh, position to take. Um, I don't again I people have said what they've said uh the the information is out there that people have simply decided not to follow it uh again is just flummoxes me okay Barry so here we go we're at the end and, and we're we're going to cut to the chase here's the bottom line people are going to go to the polls on November 2nd they're going to cast their ballot uh tell them why the outcome of your race the race for the uh ESC seat why is that so important and what it means for kids, educators, and families uh, all across Central Ohio? Well, if we're spending $1.4 billion of taxpayer money, that's an awful lot of money. And, and the idea that somebody in my position, somebody with my background, somebody with my experience and knowledge, and with my commitment to students and teachers of Central Ohio, uh, I will be there uh, monthly, bi-weekly, however we, we meet or how, what other things I do besides meet on the board to provide the services that will be of the greatest benefit to uh, all the students of Central Ohio. Um, I, yeah, I, I bring that perspective because that's really all I've done since 1975. All and right, I'm hoping to continue that. Do you have uh, anything on social media where people wanted to follow you or find more information uh, I have a Facebook, yeah, I have a Facebook yeah I have a Facebook uh, uh, page uh, Barry Alcock for ESC board uh, I have that uh, I'm on I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram I post things periodically uh, other than that uh, Central OEA has done a really nice job of uh, putting out uh, uh, information on my behalf, sent to all members of Central OEA. And uh, they've recruited, uh, they, uh, they're, we're having a fundraiser at my house on Sunday. And uh, you can go to Central OEA site and see where that is. Um, we, are, uh, we, are, we did a phone bank, we're doing another phone bank the day before the election. So if you're a, an OEA member in Central, you can expect to uh, hear from somebody, maybe me, but certainly others. Uh, on my behalf. And uh, I, when I leave this podcast, I'm going to uh, meet uh, Will Klatt, who's an OEA uh, uh, person, and we're going to walk uh, a neighborhood uh, up just north of where I live now around Refugee Road and Gender, and we're going to put cards in people's doors. We'll spend a few hours doing that. I've been doing that. So uh, if you're a voter, you can expect to uh, receive something from me, and maybe you'll receive a couple mailings as well. We've begun to put those out. And then I think a byproduct might be if people are, are look, looking for you or searching for you on Facebook, they might come across some photos of your beautiful new granddaughter <laughs> yes. or your cat Huxley, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, Huxley's pretty politically passive. Uh, <laughs> if it doesn't involve feeding him, he doesn't really get too active. But uh, Alexandria's on there too. You're exactly right. She was a month old yesterday. It's hard to believe. All right, everybody, that is Barry Alcock, and Barry is running for the Central Ohio Educational Service Center Board. Thank you so much, Barry, for your time. Jeff, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Remember, Election Day is November 2nd, 
and your vote matters as much as it ever did, maybe even more so, as our local school districts navigate through these contentious times. And we're covering it all right here on Education Matters. Next week, your regular host, Katie Olmstead, is back with a great conversation with the Ohio Teacher of the Year. He is the first black educator to ever receive this honor, and he's offering an invaluable perspective about why representation in the classroom is so important and why we have to stand up for honesty in education in Ohio schools. So tune in to hear Kurt Russell, our Ohio Teacher of the Year, next week. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. Email educationmatters at ohea.org or connect with us on social media. We're at OhioEA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, this is OEA Vice President Jeff Wensing asking you to stay well. And thank you, Katie Olmstead, for letting me fill in. It's been fun.